Chaim Aran. We're continuing related to Rabbein Azal's trip to Eretz Yisrael, which we started speaking about in the previous year. We dedicate the learning today, Li'iloi Nishmas, Tuvia B'Rabi Yisrael Yitzchak, Yerachmiel Daniel Ben Gedalia, and Rosabas Itamar, and also for a complete refuah shalema for all those that need it, including Chaviva Chana Basgalia, Shimon Eliezer Ben Rochel, Ruven Chaim Ben Chanelka, Avigail Brocha Bas Shira Dvoira, Shira Dvoira Bas Miriam, Jonas Ben Hilda, Leia Reina Bas Aviva, Shimon Zvulon Ben Soraleya, Rus Alexandra Esther Chaya Bas Luna Patricia, Yehuda Ben Soramaya, Eitan Yoel ben Edna, Tuvi Etzvi ben Chaya Liza, Besoich Shar Choli Yisrael. In the more recent editions of Chaim Aram, this is paragraph 132, Kuflamid Beis. When Rabbi Nezal traveled to Eretz Yisrael, he traveled via the city of Nikolaev and Khursan to Odessa, which is south of Ukraine, and Rabbi Nezal spent the holiday of Shavuos at the time in Khursan. And he told over Divrei Torah on the Pasuk in Tehillim, Yokim Sa'oro Lidmoma, in chapter 107 in Tehillim, about Hashem being able to calm down storms and other Torahs. <coughs> Rabbi Nezal writes that there were people there in the city of Khursan that were students of the first Lubavitcher Rebbe, the Balatanya. He refers to him as Horav Milodi, the, the rabbi of the city of Lodi. And they brought to Rabbeinazal samplings of Torahs, Chidushe Torah, from the Balatanya. And Rabbeinazal showed them that he, he, he disagreed with what was written there. He, was, he proved that something there wasn't wasn't correct to the to these students. On the night of Shavuos, after Abenazal had been up during the night, he went to the mikveh, as is the custom, after midnight, towards morning, with one of his people, and the person that went with Rabbeinazal to the mikveh told over that Rabbe, while they were going to the mikveh, Rabbeinazal kept asking him, do you hear those sounds? And he said he doesn't hear anything. And Rabbeinazal was surprised that he didn't hear. And Rabbeinazal said to him, how is it possible that you don't hear the sounds? And then afterwards, Rabbeinazal said, is it possible that I'm hearing sounds of an orchestra? And the person said, no, doesn't hear any sound of any orchestra, any choir, no sound at all. And Rabbeinazal was very surprised. And this person that was with him at the time understood that Rabbeinazal was hearing the sounds and the thunder and lightning of Kabbalah Satoira. Just as when Hashem gave the Torah on Har Sinai, it was with, with thunder and lightning, Rabbeinazal was hearing those sounds on Shavuos night where he was. Afterwards, when Rabbeinazal came out of the mikveh, he said, 
that I had something new revealed to me regarding what the Tikkun Ezra speaks about, regarding two different levels of Yira, of respect, fear of Hashem. We know the Zohar Kodesh says that there are sometimes that it seems in the Torah we're given the impression that Yira is a lower level than Ahava. And there are other places where we're given the impression that Yira is higher than Ahava. And the Zohar Kodesh explains because there are two types of Yira. There's Yira Soimish, there's fear of punishment, consequences, where that level of Yira is lower than Ahava Hashem. But then there's another level of Yira called Yira Soroimamus, which is a respect that comes from a real recognition of the greatness of Hashem, how great Hashem is, that level of Yira is even a higher level than Avas Hashem. But Rabbi Nezal said, now I've become aware that there's a third level of Yira, which is higher, much, much higher than the Yira Elo that the Zohar Kodesh speaks about. And this is a level of Yira of, of, of awe and respect that's very, very high. Now, before Rabbeinazal set out on this trip <clears throat> from the city of Medvedevka, Rabbeinazal had said that one of the reasons he wants to travel Teretz Yisrael is he wants to fulfill all 613 mitzvahs together together, including the mitzvahs hatluyos baretz, those mitzvahs that can only be performed in Eretz Yisrael, together with all the mitzvahs of Chutz Loretz, and to merge them together and to fulfill them spiritually. Some of those mitzvahs, a mitzvah to divorce one's wife, for example. Obviously, he didn't want to fulfill that mitzvah in physical action, but to be able to fulfill every single, all 613 mitzvahs, beruchni, spiritually. And then afterwards, he'll be able to fulfill those that can be fulfilled on a practical level. And Rav Nosanzal says there was a lot of discussion about this, but unfortunately, I wasn't there at the time. This is before Rav Nosanzal became a student of Rav Nosanzal, and therefore there's a lot missing, and I was only able to gather a little bit of what the discussions were at the time. Another thing Rabbi Nezal said was, another reason why he wanted to travel to Eretz Yisrael was because prior to that, when he needed something from his grandfather, Reb Nachman Mehoredenka, who's buried in Eretz Yisrael, in Tveria, he used to go to the kever of Reb Shaya Yanaver, who lived, who, who's buried in Samila, and there he would be mispalel, and he would use Rabbi Yishaya as a messenger to give over messages to his grandfather. But now, and there's, there's something left un, unmentioned here, V'yachshav and now, and it doesn't explain why, he cannot send Rabbi Yishaya. Therefore, he's traveling to Yisrael in order to be able to speak to his grandfather and to be able to set up a relationship where he'll be able to know whatever he needs to know from Reb Nachman Horodenka, he'll be able to get that information. Reb Nosanzal adds that it, it seems that there were many different reasons that Reb Nosanzal spoke about why he wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael, 
in addition to the reasons that he didn't reveal at all, because each and everything that Rabbein Azal did, usually there were many, many reasons for why he was doing it, especially when it came to this trip to Eretz Yisrael, where Rabbein Azal risked his life in a very big way to make this trip, then certainly there was a lot, a lot, a lot of reasons for it. Paragraph 134, Rav Nassim says, I heard, told over in Rav name, that he said that he wanted to travel to Eretz Yisrael in order to achieve Chachma Ilah, a certain very high level of Chachma, <clears throat> because Chachma Tato, he has already, but he wants to achieve this Chachma Ilah, a certain high level of Chachma. And Rabbi Nezal said that as soon as he walked, as soon as he took four steps in Eretz Yisrael, he immediately accomplished everything, all the different reasons that he had wanted to go to Eretz Yisrael to accomplish, he accomplished in those first four steps that he took. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nezal says, I, I also heard the incredible joy and satisfaction that Rabbi Nezal had as soon as he arrived in Eretz Yisrael, that everything that he had wanted to accomplish was already accomplished. Paragraph 135, <clears throat> Rabbi Nezal said to his student Rebutal, Rebutal was one of the closest students of Rabbi Nezal, who before becoming a student of Rabbi Nezal, he himself was already a teacher, a mekubal, and Rabbi Nezal told him that he wants to trace, he'd like to travel to Eretz Yisrael. So Rabbi Yudl gave Rabbi Nezal a bracha, and he said to him, certainly you want to accomplish something very, very great there. May it be the will of Hashem that Hashem should help you to accomplish what you want. And Rabbi Nezal shook his head to the bracha. He accepted the bracha. Afterwards, Rabbi Nezal commented, the truth is, I could accomplish everything that I want to accomplish in Eretz Yisrael, I could accomplish it really over here through tefillah and tachnunim, through intense tefillah. And I wouldn't really have to travel to Eretz Yisrael. However, the difference is that if I'll be zeichet to be in Eretz Yisrael, there I'll be able to receive these incredible high-level understanding of Hashem through levushim, through, through cloaks. Whereas in Chutzlar, it's now outside of Eretz Yisrael, <clears throat> I cannot receive it with these levushim, only without levushim. And Rav Nosanzal points out, and, and Rav Nosanzal said that this is actually the difference between the holiness of Shabbos versus the holiness of Yantif. And, and Rabbi Nezal opened up the Siddur of the Arizal for a butel, and he showed him how the Arizal explains that this is the difference between Shabbos and Yantif, that on Shabbos we receive a, a certain incredible high-level light from Hashem with levushim, with garments, which make it safer, easier, and obviously a, a better level. Whereas on Yantif, that light is received without these levushim. And Rav Nosanzal speaks about this in one of the places in the Kutelachas, where Rav Nosanzal speaks about the differences between Shabbos and Yantif, 
he goes into a discussion on this. In the beginning of Rabbi Nezal's trip to Israel, <clears throat> he spent a Shabbos in the city of Skolia, and there he saw the great Sadik Rabbi Nachem Mendel Mivitebsk, who was the one who led the journey of the students of the Baal Shem Tov to Eretz Yisrael. Those students that made Aliyah to Eretz Yisrael, the students of the Baal Shem Tov, Rabbi Nachem Mendel Mivitebsk was the one who led that journey. And Rabbi Nezal revealed to him that there is a special name of Hashem, the name Ato, which is very, very helpful when a person is crossing the ocean. And Rabbi Nezal, there's actually a chapter on Ikut Imran, chapter 256, where Rabbi Nezal speaks about this. Based on a Pasuk in Tehillim, chapter 89, where the Pasuk says, Besoy Galov, when the, when the sea lifts up its waves, Ato Teshabchem, you Hashem, calm down those waves. And we know that in the Shemayin Esrei, in the second brach of the Shemayin Esrei, we say, Ato Gibor Li'olam Hashem. You, Hashem, are very powerful. So Rav Zal says <coughs> that there's more related to this that I heard told over, but I don't remember it right now. have to talk to, to Rav Zal's Talmidim, who heard this from Rav Shemenzal. Now, the, the Reb Nachman Shirin, who's the one who organized the Sefer Chaim Aran and published it, writes that I heard from someone who heard from Reb Shemenzal that the manner in which this name of Hashem is used is as follows. <clears throat> that the, the name of Hashem, Ato, is actually a Rosh Tevois. Each letter is counted as a word. Aleph, the way it's written as a word, Aleph Lamet Pei, Tov, Tov Yud Vav, and Hey, Hey Aleph. And the way that a person uses this name of Hashem is by taking five pieces of paper or parchment and writing on each one of them the two words, Verav Chesed. In the 13 attributes of kindness, one of the 13 attributes of kindness is, is this Verav Chesed, a multitude of kindness. These two words, Verav Chesed, are Bigimatria 280, which is actually a number that's associated with Midas Hadin, judgment. We know that there are five letters in the Aleph Beis which are called closing letters, Stumais. These five letters appear one way when they're in the beginning or middle of a word, and they appear in a different form when they're at the end of a word. These five letters are Menatzbach, Mem, Nun, Tzadik, Peichof. There's regular Mem, and there's Mem, Sofit. There's regular Nun, and Nun, Sofit. In Yiddish, it's called Shloss Mem. Shloss, shloss means to close. And close is always a concept of Din, harshness. Open is a concept of Chesed. Close is a concept of Midas Adin. So we have this number 280, which is associated with dinim, judgments, the paradinim, which appears in many different places in the Zohar Kodesh, in the writings of Yarizal. And to counter that, we have this verav chesed, 
this multitude of chesed, the words verav chesed are also bigimatria 280. Five times 280 is 1,400, 1,400. So if we write these words verav chesed on these five pieces of paper or parchment, it adds up to 1,400 plus the five for the five actual pieces of paper makes up this word ato, aleph tof hey. <clears throat> and if, if a person is at sea and a storm breaks out, a person would throw these five pieces of paper, these kvitlach, into the sea, and it would definitely help to calm the storm. And Reb Shimonzal said that he actually used this. Reb Shimonzal traveled from Ukraine to Eretz Yisrael at least twice, and he used this, and it helped a lot. <clears throat> and before Reb Shimonzal made his second trip to Eretz Yisrael, he was in the city of Breslov. He went to a cipher and asked them to write many of these kvitlach, writing the words Varav Chesed, the way a cipher writes it, <clears throat> in order for him to take with him on the journey. Now, when Rav left the port of Odessa to the Black Sea, there was a tremendous storm that broke out. And during this storm, a person who had passed away shortly before that came to Rav The Neshama came to Rav And Rav asked the person who was with him on the trip, did you see this young man from Valachovitz? And the person didn't respond at all. But Rav Nelsonzal writes, now, now, years later, years after this trip, this wasn't a chiddush at all, because Rav was involved a lot, primarily, with repairing neshamos of people that had passed away, thousands of such neshamos. And Rav said that this was a major focus of his avoidah, and the main reason why he passed away, and especially was buried in the city of Uman, was because of this, because of the fact that there were thousands of souls, <coughs> people that had been murdered, al-Kiddush Hashem, massacred, <coughs> and children, women and children, that required tikkun. And Rav said that that's one of the main reasons why he had to be buried there. Prior to Rabbeinazal making this journey to Eretz Yisrael and traveling, crossing the Black Sea from Odessa, people did not travel that way. They were afraid to travel that way. Rabbeinazal was one of the first ones who made the journey this way by boat from Odessa. <clears throat> and from that time on, it became a regular travel path where everybody in those days that traveled to Eretz Yisrael from Ukraine would go via Odessa, crossing the Black Sea. And Rav Nosenzal points out there were several things like that, that Rav was the one who initiated it, and then it became accepted as normal. For example, when Rav was in Eretz Yisrael, and he went to different Kivrei Tzadikim, Rav went to the Kever of a Yenuka. A Yenuka is someone who was born with all of his faculties from a previous Gilgal. 
There are several stories in the Zohar Kodesh of such tzaddikim, Rav Hamnuna, other great tzaddikim, <coughs> who came back to the world again as a child. And this child, when he was four years old, was able to teach Rabbi Shimon Bar Yechoyzal students secrets of Torah. So Rabbi Nezal went to visit the kever of one of these yenukas, which people were afraid to enter. It was actually in a cave, because they said that there's a snake there. <clears throat> and also there was a tremendous tree that grew over that cave. Rabbi Nezal was the first one who ignored what they were saying at the time. He went inside. <clears throat> he held on to the roots of the tree with his hand, and he went into the cave, and he said there was no snake there at all whatsoever. And Rav Nassim Zal writes, from that time on, people go to that Myra, they visit the Kevra the Yenuka, and Rav Nassim Zal writes, I myself, when I made my trip to Eretz Yisrael, was zeichet to be there, and I saw this with my own eyes. Paragraph 139. Before Rabbi Nassim arrived in Eretz Yisrael, he went through tremendous suffering and, and tremendous obstacles, which Rav Nassar writes, impossible even to describe. And when he was in Istanbul, the city of Istanbul, which is also called Constantinople, Rav Nassar threw himself into an incredible, incredible level of katnus, to acting like a child, he dressed himself, he wore a torn garment, and he walked barefoot and without a hat. And he went out, he was walking around outside there like one of the lowest of the low, and did other things like this to act with tremendous katnus and prisus, as, as simple and as childlike as he could. And he actually engaged in an argument, a major argument, with some of the people there, joking around, but the way like kids get into arguments, seemingly over no, no real justified reason. And during the time that he was in that area, there were two people who had been to Eretz Yisrael and were on a return trip. <clears throat> when Rabbi Nezal was there in Istanbul on his way to Eretz Yisrael, and they met him, and they didn't recognize him at all. They had no idea who he was. And Rabbi Nassau presented himself in such a way that they, sh they should think he's a criminal of some sort. And they insulted him with every type of insult for several days. <clears throat> and Rabbi Nassau accepted all of these insults, not just accepted it, but he did all kinds of tricks to instigate this, to, to prime them to do it more. And Rabbi Nassau said that if he did not go through this katnus, if he did not put himself down to this level and, and be able to receive and accept all of these insults, he would not have been able to succeed in getting Teretz Yisrael because of all the tremendous obstacles that were blocking his path. Because wherever he went at that time, there was a plague, these terrible plagues that broke out. People were dying, and there were major wars going on at the time between France and Turkey, other countries, and other major obstacles 
that made it extremely difficult, almost impossible, to be able to get to Eretz Yisrael at that time. And Rabbi Nassau said that the Baal Shem Tov made tremendous efforts to try to get to Eretz Yisrael, and he wasn't successful. And so too the great going Rabbi Naftali Katz, the Smichas Chachamim, also tried very hard to get to Eretz Yisrael and did not succeed because of the major obstacles that blocked their path. And Rabbi Nassau said he had all of these same obstacles that they had, but he was zeichet to overcome them. And he said that this katnus, the ability to put himself down to such a low, low level, is what helped him tremendously. And without that, he would not have succeeded in getting Teretz Yisroel. Rabbi Nassau writes, I heard told over in the name of Rabbi Nassau that he said, that before a person can get to godless, to greatness, a person has to first fall into katnus. We know when Hashem created the world, we're told that first there was night, and then there was day. And Eretz Yisroel is godless, the godless. Eretz Yisroel is one of the highest, highest possible levels of holiness, and therefore, if a person wants to get to Eretz Yisrael, they have to first go down to katnus de katnus, to an incredible, incredible level of lowness. And that's why the Baal Shem Tov was not able to get to Eretz Yisrael. He wasn't able to, to put himself that far down. Whereas Rabbeinu Zal succeeded in getting to Eretz Yisrael through this incredible katnus that he put himself down, this katnus de katnus. And Rav Nassar writes, the incredible achievement, the incredible high level of understanding of Hashem that Rav Nassar was zechut to in Eretz Yisrael, there's no way for us to describe, and I don't want to attempt to describe it because I don't want to detract in any way, chas v'shalom. Rav Nassar actually said about himself that if the generation weren't as low as they are, then people would recognize what an incredible Chiddush Rabbi Nassau was. However, unfortunately, because of the fact that the generation wasn't really worthy, because of that, Rabbi Nassau's light was hidden and wasn't revealed in its full, full sense. On the way back from Eretz Yisroel, they crossed the White Sea, as it's referred to over here, and someone had a set of Mishnais with them. Rabbi Nassau started learning the Mishnais, and when he arrived at the second Mishnah in the fifth chapter of Soita, where the Mishnah says there that Rabbi Yeshua said, who will reveal, who will remove the dust from your eyes, Rabbi Yochanan and Zakkai? Because <clears throat> you used to say that there's going to be a generation of tremendous greatness. Rabbi Nassau became very excited, and he clapped his hands, and he said, who sees what I see? Because there was revealed to me in this Mishnah now something incredible, and Rabbi Nassau didn't want to reveal it. One small aspect of it he did reveal, 
to the person that was with him, and Rav Nelson Zal doesn't write what it was. <clears throat> paragraph 142. I'm not mentioning each and every paragraph, just to, to follow a flow. In the old versions, these numbers are much smaller numbers. This paragraph we're up to right now is paragraph 14. Yudalid, within this topic, within this chapter of Rabbeinazal's trip to Eretz Yisrael. The larger numbers are going in order from the beginning of the Sefer to the end of the Sefer. Any questions, please? Abudu. So I, I think I heard from Nachbush, and only one more from right from now. Speak up a little. <laughs> That he said that Rabbeinu Sal gave to the people the koyach, gave the to fix the shamas of the mitzvah. Pidyonis, pidyonis, yes. Which Nelson gave being makarif people, <laughs> yes. This student Rabbeinu was one of the six closest students to Rabbeinu Sal that we know of, and before Rabbeinu Sal passed away, Rabbeinu Sal gave over to some of his students. <clears throat> Different, different functions, different jobs in a sense. And to this rebuttal, he gave over the union of pidyon, receiving a pidyon, receiving money, <clears throat> and being able to be mispalel for people, being able to, to affect a pidyon on behalf of a person. Do you know, does anybody know where is it? I believe it's in Sfas, if I'm not mistaken. The question of the Yenuka, we mentioned the kever of the Yenuka, I believe it's in the cemetery in Sfas. There are <clears throat> many, many kvorim there, and one of them is a kever of the Yenuka, if I'm not mistaken. If not in Sfas, then it's definitely in the Galil, in that in northern Eretz Yisrael, because Rabbi Nezal did not get to Yerushalayim, he did not get to the south of Eretz Yisrael. In those days, <clears throat> the, 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 the Jews were concentrated from Tiberia north, basically. Kufmem Gimel, paragraph 140, nope, 142 Kufmem Beis. When Rabbi Nassau returned from Eretz Yisrael, he said, <clears throat> on this trip, I was zochet to fulfill the entire Torah in all of its different ways. <clears throat> I was zochet to realize how it's possible to fulfill the Torah in such a manner that even if I was sold as a slave by, by the Arabs or the Turks in those days, there was slavery. <clears throat> and I was sent to some distant country where there's no Jews there at all. And I would be sent out to take care of the sheep. And even if I wouldn't know what day is Shabbos or what day is Yantif, and I did not have a talis or tefillin with me or the ability to build a sukkah or to practically perform any of the mitzvahs, I would still be able to fulfill each one of the mitzvahs spiritually. And, and this is discussed in Rabbi Nachman's wisdom, this concept, whereby tzaddikim we find that the, the Zohar Kodesh says that by Yaakov Avinu, when Yaakov Avinu <clears throat> was leaving Lovan and they were splitting up the different sheep, and Yaakov Avinu said that the way we'll split it up is those sheep that are striped or speckled, those will be mine, and the regular sheep will be yours. And Yaakov Avinu took sticks and he peeled off the bark from it 
And the Sifrei Kabbalah explained that Yaakov Avinu knew how to affect the tikkun of tefillin, by the tefillin and ritzuos, by the way that he was peeling off the bark from those, those sticks. These are obviously very deep secrets that the greatest of tzaddikim are aware of. Paragraph 143, when Rabbi returned from Eretz Yisrael, he said over Torah on the Pasuk at the end of Parsha Shlach, which we just read recently, Aselech Asarof, where, where there was a plague of snakes that had attacked the Jews at the time, and Hashem told Moshe Rabbeinu to make an image, a copper image of a snake, and place it way above when the Jews would look at it and they, they would be able to be healed, be cured by that. So Rabbeinu Zal said Torah on that Pasuk on Friday night, and then at Suda Shlishit, <coughs> he said over Edvar Torah on the Pasuk, Ki Savar Bamayim Itchoni, when you're crossing the water, I am with you, Hashem says. And this Torah appears in chapter 73 in Likut Imran. It's a short Torah. And Rabbi Nelson Zal writes that this Torah was very, very precious in Rabbi Nezal's eyes. That again, this was one of the first divrei Torah that Rabbi Nezal told over after returning from Eretz Yisrael, where Rabbi Nezal explains the word Ani, each one of the letters, what the Aleph represents, what the Nun represents, how this represents a person davening with proper kavana, <clears throat> and that through this a person is able to achieve a tremendous closeness to Hashem. Once, shortly after Rabbeinazal had returned from Eretz Yisrael, the Trovetz Magid had come to spend Shabbos with him. This was when Rabbeinazal was still in Medvedevka. And Rabbeinazal said Torah <clears throat> on the Pasuk and Tehillim, Zeh Doer Dorshov. This is the generation and its, its leaders. Dorshov means those that, that, that speak Divrei Torah. Shekefi hador kenhu hador shimshaloi. And Rabbeinu Zal explained that based on the generation, based on the quality of the generation, that will determine and define its lecturers, its teachers. And Rabbeinu Zal says, unfortunately, the Dvar Torah was not written down, but Rabbeinu Zal said to the Trovet Samagid, you're the generation and I am the teacher. The Trovet Samagid was much older than Rabbeinu Zal, and, and when he met Rabbeinu Zal, the Trovet Samagid was appointed over 80 cities at the time. He would travel throughout the year to these 80 different cities and teach and give Musr to the people. And when he met Rabbeinu Zal, who was much younger than him, he recognized Rabbeinu Zal's greatness, and he told his followers, <clears throat> I'm giving up my Magidus, from here on in I'm a student of this rabbi. Whoever wants is welcome to come and join me. Paragraph Kuf Memhei, <clears throat> when upon returning from Eretz Yisrael, when they traveled across one of the rivers, the Dinesta River, Rav Nosanzal writes, they were forced to change their clothes, that they shouldn't appear like Jews. It seems that there was <clears throat> very strong anti-Semitism there. 
and they dressed like businessmen, like young, the way young businessmen dress. And because of that, there were many people that mistook them and thought that they were just regular guys, regular businessmen. And, and when they arrived in Uman, this is on the way back from Eretz Yisrael, <clears throat> Rabbi Nezal did not live in Uman. It was only years later, many years later, a half a year before he passed away, that he went to settle in Uman. But on the way back from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Nezal passed through the city of Uman, and Rabbi Nezal writes <clears throat> that they had a major test, a major test with women. And then... Rabbein traveled very, he left there very, very quickly, and he tried to be malamed schus on the people. And Rabbein said, you should know that our, our path in this world is to realize that there are tests, and it's very easy for a person to stumble, to, to fail a test. <clears throat> and Rabbein sighed deeply, feeling very sorry for those people that don't succeed in passing these tests. Because it seems that in the house that they stayed in, the wagon in the house in which their wagon driver stayed in, it was a place of major promiscuity, of znus, niuf, in a very big way. But Rabbi Nezal said that with Hashem's help, it's going to be a tremendous benefit to the people here, the fact that we were here. And from this point on, there will no longer be this type of behavior in this house. And then Rabbi Nezal felt better. <clears throat> in the city of Teplik also, on the way back from Eretz Yisrael, the people did not know at all who Rabbi Nezal was, and Rabbi Nezal went into the home of a teacher, a malamed, somebody who taught small children, and Rabbi Nezal pleaded with him to allow them to, to be his guests for Shabbos. And the person refused because he thought that they were thieves. And he went, this person came to the person that was with Rabbi Nezal and told him some kind of reasons why he refused to accept them for Shabbos. Paragraph 146, when they arrived in the city of Shpola, this is again on the way back from Eretz Yisrael, Rabbi Nezal's traveling to get back to his house. There they were able to get dressed in their regular clothing, and Rabbi Nezal visited the house of the Shpola Zeda, who a while later became a major opponent of Rabbi Nezal. But at that time, it was just the opposite. There was tremendous friendship and warmth, and the Shpolazeda received Rabbi Nezal with tremendous respect and love. And he prepared a banquet in his honor, and they sat together at the table the entire night. And there were important people that came <clears throat> to see them that all sat at that table in, at this banquet in honor of Rabbi Nezal, and there was tremendous celebration and whoever came into the house, the Shpalazeda said to them, you, you know that I never have a meal at night. I never sit down to a meal at night. And now it's only because of this special guest that's come to my home who is so precious and so beloved to me, and I have such pleasure from the fact that he came to me. That's why I'm eating with him at this banquet.
and I, I don't know what to do to express how happy I am. And in the morning also, they spoke with tremendous friendship <clears throat> because Rav Nassim Zal writes, throughout years before that, there was tremendous friendship between them. It was only when Rav Enazal moved from Medvedevka to Zlatopolya, which was a year and a half after Rav Enazal returned from Eretz Yisroel, that's when there were people that went to the Shpola Zeda and told over all kinds of terrible things about Rav Enazal to the Shpola Zeda. And from that point on, he became a major enemy, an adversary, an opponent of Rav Enazal, which caused major, major opposition at the time. We spoke about this in the previous year, <coughs> where the Shepetovka issued a very severe curse to those people who instigated this. And Rabbeinazal was surprised. Rabbeinazal said, I knew that there was going to be machloikas against me, but I, I had no idea that he would be the one to be chosen for this mission. Any questions, please? Nossam, going back a little bit, if possible, if it's not out of place, when Rabbeinazal mentioned that uh, there were certain things in the Tanya that he didn't accept fully, or do we know what those points of contention were? I don't know it was, if it was in the Tanya, number one. It says that they, they showed him some chidushim. I'm not sure if it was in the Sefer Tanya. But... but uh, we, we don't know. It seems we, we don't know. I haven't heard. There is a safer that I have. I didn't have a chance. I thought of it today, looking into it. A printing of Chaim Aran, which has many of the things that were left out of the standard editions of Chaim Aran. If possible, I'm going to check there to see if it mentions it. But it's interesting to note, you brought this up, that when the safer Tanya came out, when Rabbi Nezal heard about it or he saw it, he commented, he said that he took such a huge Hashem and put him into such a small Sefer. But we, we know that there were issues. There definitely were issues that they, they took different paths in. Even though there was tremendous respect, mutual respect. Rabbi Nezal referred to the Balatanya as a Sar Ho'elef, we're going to speak about it, how Rabbi Nezal visited him on the way back from Eretz Yisroel. And there was tremendous mutual respect, and there was a shidduch between, I believe, a grandchild of, of Rabbi Nezal, or, or the Balatanya, and one of Rabbi Nezal's descendants. There was never any machloikis, chas There was differences of opinions on certain items. It came up recently in discussion. The topic of shalashudas, the third meal on Shabbos. If a person learns Shulchan Aruch, a person learns Gemara and Shulchan Aruch, there are certain openings that if a person cannot eat, cannot eat the meal, they cannot wash for bread. And obviously, it's made perfectly clear that first choice is that a person should have Lechem Mishneh, two complete chali rolls for Suda Shlishis, just like for the Friday night meal and for the Shabbos morning meal. But if a person can't, if there are extenuating circumstances, <clears throat> then a person can use mezainos cake or even fruit bidiyeved. And I believe there's a custom in Chabad 
that they accepted it as a custom that they don't have suda shlishis, they don't wash for bread for suda shlishis, but rather they say that suda shlishis is on such a high level that, that we don't want to put it into gashmias, we don't want to put it into physical food. They, they say Torah at and that's the way we accomplish the, the Suda of Shalashudis. <clears throat> and Rabbeinazal followed the Zoyar Kodesh which is extremely, extremely harsh regarding a person who does not fulfill all of the three meals of Shabbos. You know, with, with Lechem Mishnah, <clears throat> you know, and I, I, I remember my Rebbe Rav Rosenfeld was very, very strong on this point, you know, teaching his students because during his time, about 50, 60 years ago, there were communities, shuls, where it, it became a standard and a norm that, that people would come to shul for mincha on Shabbos and they would stay for Mayriv. And the shul would not provide sudashlishis or some shuls that were being generous they would provide some crackers or some, you know, something small. And Rav Rosenfeld, in his shurim to his students, impressed upon them how important, how extremely important every one of the meals of Shabbos is. And in certain ways, Sudash Lishis is the most important, the holiest. It's the climax of the whole Shabbos. <clears throat> and it was based on his influence that some of these students went to war, went to battle, against the committees in some of these shuls and insisted that they'll pay for the Suda Shlishis. <clears throat> and I remember when I started, when I came around to Rav Rosenfeld, at that time, this, this change started taking place and, and saw how in these communities, in these shuls, they started having Suda Shlishis and it became, now it became an accepted norm in all of those shuls that they have Suda Shlishis with Lechem Mishnah, etc., there are still some people who don't join, but the, the norm, the standard has become to yes, have it. And there are other differences that we're aware of. <clears throat> Question? Um, uh, we learned earlier today that when Rabbeinuzah was in a way... Yes? Uh, just to ask a question about Sudash Shishet, um, is there a specific time in, in terms of the day? Is it, can it be any time after Chatzot? Or it has to be after Mincha? The answer is that, <clears throat> that it's definitely preferable that it should be after Mincha. There are some rare occasions when Erev Pesach comes out on, Shab on, on Friday, certain rare occasions where because it cannot be done differently, we have Suda Shlishit, you know, or one of the ways that we do it is we wash for the morning meal and we eat something small and then we bench and then we, wa we, we make a hefsik, and then we wash again to cover that third meal. But the norm, the normal standard, preferably is that the Suda Shlishi should be after Mincha on Shabbos. It is preferred. We learned earlier today, we learned earlier today that uh, Rabbi Nwazal was in a way to Teret Israel. So he came, he made himself mamish in very time, and like very, very small. And there was two people that were laughing at him. Now, knowing that in the end, they got, they got punished. My question is why? Because they did it. <clears throat> like, there's, there's a question that comes up now that just came up, which we didn't really discuss here. It's discussed more in Rabbi Nachman's wisdom. 
In the book, Rabbi Nachman's Wisdom, there's a, a whole chapter going into detail, more detail, regarding Rabbi Nassau's trip to Eretz Yisroel. <clears throat> and there it goes into more detail regarding what took place between Rabbi Nassau and these two people who insulted him and degraded him. They, they asked him one day, are you a Koyen? And he said, yes, sure, of course. And then the next day they asked him, are you a Levi? And he said, yes. Sure. And he, he confused them and, and he instigated that they should insult him and insult him and, and extremely nasty remarks. And over there we see that in the end, I believe one of them passed away, both of them, there was some kind of a penalty and punishment. And the question, the logical question is, why should they be punished if Rabbi Nassau was looking for this? He instigated this, he needed, you know, and he needed this. <clears throat> and the answer is that this is something that comes up in several places in Likut HaLochos, that Hashem created the world in such a way that there's good and bad, Sadiqim have to have challenges, different things. <clears throat> the person who is used for this type of thing, that person is chosen. The Gemara says, When there's something, when Hashem has something good that he wants should be done, he chooses a good person to do it. And when there's something bad that has to be done, <clears throat> Hashem picks a bad person to be the one to do it. So obviously there are reasons why these two specifically were there at the time, why they were chosen to be the ones to do this. You know, everything is cheshboinus min ha-shemayim. In the writings of the Arizal, in the Shara Gilgulim, the Arizal sometimes gives us insights, deep insights to show why it is that certain tzaddikim <coughs> encountered certain rishoyim. The case, for example, we know in the beginning of creation, the story of Cain and Hevel, that Cain was the firstborn. Hevel came after him, and the Torah says that Cain offered a sacrifice to Hashem, and Hevel offered a sacrifice, and Hashem didn't enjoy Cain's sacrifice. He did enjoy Hevel's sacrifice. And Cain was jealous of that. He was jealous also of the fact that Hevel was born with two twin sisters, and he only had one. <clears throat> and in the end, Cain went ahead and murdered Hevel. And the Torah says that Hevel's blood seeped into the ground. <clears throat> the Arizal shows there's a pasuk shivasayim yukam kain, that kain <clears throat> will go through seven times seven purifications in a sense. And the Arizal says the word yukam, yud kufmem, represents three of the major gilgulim of kain. <clears throat> the yud is yisroi, the kuf is koirach, and the Mem is Mitzri. And these were three major incidents in the life of Moshe Rabbeinu. The Arizal shows how Hevel, Moshe Rabbeinu was a Gilgal of Hevel. The word Hevel, the He, stands for the five Chumashim, the five books of the Torah, which begin with the letter Beis and end with the letter Lamed, which is what Moshe Rabbeinu's great achievement was. Moshe Rabbeinu brought the Torah to us. And the Arizal shows how all of the generations afterwards, from Cain and Hevel, Noyach, all the different people, how they were part of a track. These were all Gilgulam of Cain, these were all Gilgulam of Hevel, and the interaction between them was all part of correcting the original sin of Cain and other things along the way. 
The Mitzri, Moshe Rabbeinu killed, this is the Mitzri, who Moshe Rabbeinu saw attacking a Jew, trying to murder a Jew, and Moshe Rabbeinu killed him. That was to be able to correct the fact that Cain killed Hevel. Koirach, the fact that the Torah says that the ground opened up and swallowed him up, that was to atone for the fact that the Torah says that the ground accepted, swallowed the blood of Hevel. And that's Koirach. And, and there's much more detail to this. I'm just giving it to you in short form. And Yisroi, the, the, the Gemara tells us that Yisroi had seven names. One of his names was Kani. Kani, the Arizal says, is Kain plus the Yud, the letter Yud. <clears throat> and Yisroi gave his daughter to Moshe Rabbeinu. And by doing that, corrected this crime of the jealousy of, of the white, because in those days, they married their sisters. So Cain had one wife, Hevel had two wives. And by Cain, by, by Yisroi giving his daughter to Moshe Rabbeinu, this was correcting that jealousy that he had for the extra wife of Hevel. And it's brought that the word Tzipoira is bigimatria lemoshe, to show that she was destined, this daughter of, of this daughter of, 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 uh, Yisroi of Cain was destined to be given over to Moshe Rabbeinu. So this is just an example of showing how every single detail of what goes on in the world, all of these interactions, is all based on, on a path from the time of the creation of the world till now. So that when we see seemingly somebody who didn't do anything wrong, and why are they, why are they being punished? There's, there's definitely, the Gemara says, when the Gemara speaks about a person killing somebody by accident. Somebody kills somebody by accident, and then they have to run away to an ear miklat. And if they leave that ear miklat, the relative of the person, the victim, is allowed to kill them. And they have to stay there until the Koyen Godol passes away. And the Gemara says, why, why did this happen? Why did this per-? And the Gemara says that very possible, it's because at a previous opportunity, this person killed somebody and there weren't witnesses around to be able to see it. So Hashem sets up a scenario where these two people meet. This one is chopping wood and by accident, the axe flies and kills that one. That one needed to be killed because he had actually killed somebody intentionally. And the one who caused the accident, you know, the Gemara shows how all of this fits. Before Rabbeinazal traveled to Eretz Yisroel, shortly before, someone asked him, why isn't he helping them come close to Hashem? Why isn't he talking to them? And Rabbeinazal said, right now, <clears throat> I don't have words. And Rabbeinazal said to him that I just, I just realized a chiddish on that pasuk kisavar bamayim itchoni that we mentioned earlier in the shir about when a person crosses an ocean, a sea, Hashem says, "I'll be with you." And there's a chapter in Likutimran expounding on this pasuk. And Rabbeinu Zal spoke about 
how it's possible to see <coughs> when a person wants to be able to see Avraham, Yitzchok, and Yaakov. And he was able to see this in this pasuk, Kisavra Bamayim Itchaoni. Rabbi Nazal said, <coughs> however, and that this was a chiddush to me, that this knowledge became available right now. But Rabbi Nazal said, I think it's because I have to cross the sea now, and therefore this pasuk lit up for me in a sense. But Rabbi Nazal said, you don't need this. You're not, you're not traveling now. You, you don't need this information right now. <clears throat> and even if I were able to take this chiddish and put it into Musr, <clears throat> which anybody could benefit, Rabbi Nazal said, right now I don't have Tibdiburim. And then Rabbi Nazal was walking back and forth in this house that he was in at the time. And Rabbi Nazal said... <clears throat> I am an only I am poorer than all of the Gedolim, all the leaders. This one has money, this one has silver, this one is in charge of cities. I have nothing. <clears throat> but but my consolation, my only consolation is that in the future world they'll all be able to benefit from me. And they'll all yearn to hear the great revelations that I will reveal all the time. And Rabbi Nezal said, what am I? I'm only a nish- it's only a neshama that's, reveals, that's revealing new revelations in Torah. Rabbi Nezal also made a comment before leaving Teret Yisrael <coughs> that the, the world needs me. Not, not, not only you or people like you, you know, you realize how much you need me, but even those tzaddikim who know how to daven, I have the ability to be able to show them that they have no idea what tefillah really is and to show them a whole new derech in tefillah. And even those great tzaddikim who, who use yichudim, those tzaddikim that are familiar with the Sifrei Kabbalah, and they daven, when they daven, they're making yichudim, unifications of Hashem's names, I'm able to show them that they don't have any idea at all regarding how this is really done, and to be able to show them a whole new derech in these yichudim. And Rav Nassar says, it seems that Rav Nassar gave some examples of this at the time. We'll just mention one more point, which is going to close this section on Rav Nassar's trips to Israel. The Trovet Samagid, who we mentioned earlier, <coughs> who was older than Rabbi Nezal and was a recognized leader before he met Rabbi Nezal, he walked a half a parcel, which is something like a mile and a half, two miles, <clears throat> very quickly to come and see Rabbi Nezal upon Rabbi Nezal's return from Eretz Yisrael. It was near the city of Kanevlad. Rabbi Nezal was traveling there on his way back home, and he saw one of the students of the Magid by a bridge over there close to the city, and the student was shocked to see Rabbi Nezal there. So Rabbi Nezal told him, go tell the Magid quietly, no, don't, no, don't publicize this, but go tell the Magid quietly that he should come meet me 
in this village that's, that's about a mile and a half away from where they were at the time. Because Rabbi Nassau did not want to go into the city of Travitz at the time. He didn't want to go into the city. Mm. So this person ran and came to the Magid, you know, rush, rushing, rushing. And he told the Magid this. The Magid was outside at the time talking to people. And he was without a hat, without a gato, <clears throat> without a belt. And as soon as he heard this, he, he gave a scream of excitement. And he said to the person, quickly, prepare my wagon. Follow me. I'm not, I'm not going to wait for you. I'm going to start running ahead to this village. And the Magid ran quickly without a hat, without a gartel, which obviously in those days, the, those type of people never appeared like that outside. <clears throat> and he ran until he arrived at that village on foot. He beat the wagon. He was running so quickly, he beat this wagon. <clears throat> Even though the person prepared tied the horse as quickly and ran as quickly as he could, the Magid came much more quickly <clears throat> so that the person couldn't catch up with him before the Magid arrived by Rabbi Nizal. And Rabbi Nizal writes, I'm writing this in order for people to know the Hislahavus and the Chuk that those people who are really religious look at the attitude they had about coming to see a true tzaddik who is greater than them, even though the Trovet Samagid himself was a tzaddik, but he was so excited at the opportunity to see a tzaddik, his rabbi, that he ran in this manner with such enthusiasm to be able to greet him. Any questions before we close? Wishing everybody a wonderful week. <clears throat> we should be zeicha. We're in the beginning of Tammuz, the month of Tammuz, which this, this is the period of time when the Maraglim went on their journey to Eretz Yisrael. And we're headed towards the three weeks, which is not one of the happier parts of the year. We hope that the merit of learning about Sadikim and the study of Torah and Tefillah, we should be zeicha that Hashem should turn around these days to days of joy and happiness and celebration for Klal Yisrael. With the Gula Shlema, Bim Heru Amen Amen. Amen.